Welcome to Office Hours. Good morning, everyone. We are in Austin today and excited for our day and more excited for our first guest today. Chrissy McGarry is here. And first, Chrissy, welcome to Office Hours. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're excited to have you. And more importantly, thank you for your service. Uh, we certainly wouldn't be afforded all the opportunities, options, touches of favor without people like you and uh, your services in the Marine Corps and uh, Marine Corps, and uh, it just that's so much. <laughs> just a, a clarification there. My founders are all from um, wow. former former Marines. I am the token civilian who joined the company about four and a half years ago. Well, thank you for your service for being a token servant. <laughs> I do feel like the past four and a half years, though, has been a way for me to serve my country, you know, indirectly in the defense tech space. So um, it's been really neat to be surrounded by uh, those admirable individuals, for sure. Absolutely. And we uh, also, as far as... Uh, the tech goes in, especially defense tech, as uh, the chief operating officer of Second Front. Mm -hmm. um, there's probably very few women <laughs> in in your space, I, I imagine as well. So uh, there's there's plenty of uh, value and service. And please tell your partners though we appreciate the freedoms. Uh, nobody's uh, more appreciative than us three of the options, opportunities, and touches of favor that we are given. I know. Uh, there needs to be a little bit of a stage setting when we're talking about Second Front. If you want to reach out to secondfront.com, uh, a lot of civilians like yourself uh, don't know what Second Front means. Uh, yeah. So I think it's important for uh, your software as well as for all of us to understand uh, what a Second Front is. So I would like to start with a basic question. You know, what, what does Second Front mean? Yeah, so Second Front is an organization that was founded by three former Marines, um, Peter Dixon, Mark Butler, and Nate Hughes. And um, it was about, it was over four and a half years ago that they started. It was four and a half years ago when I started. And I've just been fortunate enough to be a part of an organization whose mission is to help accelerate the commercial tech capabilities for national security missions. Chrissy, definitely interesting stuff. Um, and I, I'm not sure how much this stuff is like classified and privileged because whenever we're dealing with defense space, it's <laughs> Don't worry, it's like, I don't have a clearance. Some of the some yeah. of the other folks on the team does. So I don't know anything that I'm not supposed to know. Okay, no, no clearance to have a Peter a Dixon and a Mark in it. Well, Peter Dixon, Mark, and me. So no, no clearance. I don't have one, no, personally. Um, but the, but no, the organization does. And sorry. Yeah, a, 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 Clarence, Clarence, do you, you have enough Clarence, Clarence? <laughs> it's it's where early in Austin. We're, we're having fun. Where are you seeing the, the biggest growth uh, in technology that, that can help, you know, national security and defense space? And, and what sort of tech has you guys excited, if you can speak about it? Yeah, no, I think there's a, a lot of opportunities. The thing that we enable are dual use applications. So think of applications that any of our war fighters could benefit from utilizing. The reality is, is that process of not only getting the application um, into a contract where the government could in fact use it, there's an additional process, what's called the authority to operate. Um, it's, it's an ability to enable the applications to run and operate on government networks. So what has to happen is, say a commercial company gets a contract with the government, that doesn't necessarily mean that at certain impact levels, at certain um, net network environments, that doesn't mean that individuals can necessarily go in and utilize those applications right out of the gate. So that's what our technology, Game Warden, enables. It brings those commercial technologies through the pipeline to then um, enable the users to then access them. So it could be anything, right? It could be GPS, a learning system, um, you know, a, a type of strategic software that enables visibility or um, collaboration. I mean, think any tool that we use as civilians in the private sector space and, and making sure to ensure that uh, the government can use them as well. Super interesting. Uh, how's my mic? Am I good? Am I clear? Yeah. All right. Hi, Chrissy. 
Hi. So, so I know that your mission is to empower women to follow their passions and challenge the status quo and working with women and establishing leadership qualities. Um, what are some of the things that you could suggest or some of the top of mind items, you know, in a, especially, you know, in your industry, that's often a male dominated industry for women mm -hmm. that are listening to our show on things that they can do to start building that foundation? Yeah, I think first and foremost is checking the perspective um, or the paradigm of which you're looking at things, right? So often times women might find it to be um, uncomfortable or frustrating when they don't see other women sitting at the table. For me, however, when I see, you know, a bunch of gentlemen sitting down, I was like, oh, there's space. I'm going to go over there. You know, that that is... Um, an opportunity for me. And that's how I look at those types of situations. And because that is where I come from and the mindset that I've set for myself, um, because it's not only obviously beneficial to me to, you know, get in there and have um, and, and move forward with that confidence, but hopefully the, the end goal is, is to continue to make that space, right? To scoot over and, and, and bring some other women along. So I would just suggest um, looking at those types of situations that you might find yourself in, whatever industry you're at, whether you're attending an event, conference, those types of things. Um, just look at it as an opportunity to, to step into that role, um, into that leadership type of position. And then secondly, would be developing relationships with the individuals that you work with and, and finding those allies along the way um, and having them kind of help um, help you come into those situations more often and developing a relationship so that if there is a challenging or uncomfortable situation, you then have a relationship that you can lean on to have that conversation and make that space. And, you know, it's interesting because whether a man or a woman, one of the biggest difficulties uh, is to ask for help. <clears throat> but when we're a woman who we don't see people in their situation, it becomes even more of a challenge to ask for help. Uh, and I think one of the things that I would love for you to share is that when you see that open space, instead of seeing the closed door, which is something that I think is really important perspective wise, there's still another struggle uh, to feel comfortable asking mm -hmm. for help. You wanna be a C-suite executive in the defense tech space. Uh, it takes people helping you but I also would love, while you're sharing that uh, opinion or experience, I find that a lot of, as a white middle-aged male like Mike, uh, I find that the majority of C-suite executives that are white middle-aged male are very open to helping. And they're very encouraging uh, to give those opportunities. Mo most are. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a duplicative resistance that's created that the white middle-aged male that majority sit in those c-suite positions especially in defense tech and other industries they're like begging for someone to help them help them uh, not to be jerry mcguire ass because i'm already <laughs> screwing up a lot of facts this morning with clarence and clarence and mike and mike uh in the morning by the way uh but more importantly you know someone like you a young c-suite executive in the defense space as a woman can you share your experience of how you did ask for help in order to facilitate the position that you have? And more importantly, you know, how helpful your partners were in, you know, allowing you to have the opportunity to shine. Mm -hmm. Well, first and foremost, one of the um, things that I regularly do and stemmed from an experience, I, I went into one of my first interviews of my career cold, didn't prep and totally bombed it. And it was a good experience for me in the fact that I promised myself that I would never go into a situation unprepared. And so one of the things right out of the gates that I constantly do is um, gather as much information that I can about what's being discussed or the individuals who are coming to the table and then working to develop that rapport along the way. Um, you know, I think checking with yourself of what you know and then being really honest with what you know you don't know and then trying to work and figure out how to know more or who to call on as a resource to ensure that you're speaking and going about things in the best fashion. So starting out with um, Second Front, you know, it was a space I had never been in before. 
um, which wasn't the first time I had done that, right? I went to the beverage industry, into tech, and then a little bit deeper into the defense tech space. So it wasn't, I wasn't too concerned about uh, the learning curve. I just needed to figure out how to orient myself and where to pull on resources, whether it's individuals, um, regular articles or things to, to reference, books, uh, podcasts, and you name it. And then along with that, I think I, um, no, I know, <laughs> along with that, just developing relationships with people in the, the space, not just my coworkers, but other individuals who had expertise in what they did. And then simultaneously cross-checking with mentors outside of the defense tech space and asking them how they maneuvered throughout their careers and maybe getting into an industry or getting in with an organization that was completely different than anything that they had experienced before. So, yeah, I think educating myself right out of the gates, pulling on as many resources and then referencing, you know, external mentors along the way has has served me well. While simultaneously, the thing I just mentioned previously too, um, developing the relationships with my team, um, learning about their experiences and asking them, you know, how do I learn more about that? Um, am I just regularly asking you questions? Am I, you know, having conversations here, here, here? Um, so it's been it's been great because, you know, I'm I'm genuinely curious to begin with, and so I think that has served me well because everyone knows I'm coming from a well-intentioned place of trying to ensure that I understand as much of this complex problem so that I can help facilitate what needs to get done in order to solve these these challenges that we're facing. I think you touched on something important, um, what you were saying. You're coming from industries that are so different, and you've got a ton of experience with big brands. Mm -hmm. um, there's a certain value, I think, sometimes to diversity of thought when you're entering into a completely new space. What, what advice do you have for folks that are maybe shifting industries, and how have you used the diversity of your thought process as an advantage entering into a new sector? Yeah, so one of the things I typically do um, when we've got something that we're thinking through or trying to solve for, uh, I, I ask, how did you do this in the military, right? Because predominant, so we're 50-50 split at the organization, right? We have 50%, about 50% um, veterans and then 50% civilians. So one of the things I try to orient the team and ask where are their perspectives coming from? so that I can think through what else we should bring to the table or how we continue to cast that wide net of perspectives and maybe think about it in different ways um, or how do we kind of weave them together? I think that's been the, the coolest experience um, that we've had so far at, at the company, in my opinion, is we have plucked out those things that have percolated and seem to be um, the most beneficial from both the public and private sector. And we have somehow like wove them together, not only through our culture, but how we start making um, decisions or processes that we're running. And we're, we're trying to sift out and get rid of those things that haven't been serving us well. And you are serving us well, as well as other women, Chrissy McGarry, chief operating officer <clears throat> for second front. Uh, thank you so much for your patience and understanding as we had a, a incongruent beginning. And I, lo I love a, a smooth show, but uh, I will take accountability. Uh, we'll, we'll have a second chance because we want to have you back on. Uh, you have so much uh, wisdom, especially uh, for young women who are looking up to you to be an executive in any industry. And I think to me, what's most impressive is not just uh, your acceleration to the top, but in the industry that is uh, historically male-dominated. Congratulations. Keep up the great work. You are a milestone leader, Chief Operating Officer for Second Front, secondfront.com. Chrissy McGarry, come back and join us soon. Thank you. Thank you. Great job. Thanks, Chrissy. All right. We have a great theme as usual as our producers are uh, leading into, God, there's so many easy name puns today, but uh, a star is born here. We have our next star, Dr. Lauren Starr. What a beautiful name. Uh, thank Aww. you for joining us. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. And your newest book, uh, Evidence-Based Inclusion. And I know all three of us uh, are, are working in this equity and inclusion space so diligently uh, in our own capacity as leaders. Mm -hmm. And you've been a leader. 
uh, for over 20 years um, and have seen as an HR leader uh, so much progress, uh, but yet uh, with that progress, and I love your face because I think you just made my point. <laughs> you made my point um, being someone who's over 30 years in the space. And you know, I always say I started a junior achievement, for example, when I was 10 and there was no young ladies in, in my group of entrepreneurs at 10. Mm -hmm. Uh, and today we're over 50% uh, women in junior achievement with over 100 million alumni as the chief chancellor. It's something I'm super proud of because to me that indicates where we're going. Uh, but yet I think it's important um, because you're an evidence-based person on this issue uh, that we recognize that we're still moving too slow and progress doesn't mean stop progressing. Uh, it means double down. And so... Uh, as we look at doubling down, we have to get focused on the right things. And in order to get focused on the right things, we need people who have had experience and there's not that many to draw from. And you, Dr. Lauren Starr, uh, I think hit the nail on the head or the needle on the head uh, when it comes to what should we focus in on? So my first question is what should we focus in on? Because it certainly is time to start progressing faster. It is time that we start progressing faster. What's amazing is we've spent the last 60 years focused on diversity in the workplace. And really, I think that has set us back because it's created this, for lack of better terms, a, a trauma response, a traumatic response. When we look at diversity initiatives, often when they're rolled out incorrectly or when the focus is skewed, it creates that us versus them. And now we're hearing that in that work in the workplace. It is us versus them. I can't get ahead because, um, or it's my fault. You can't get ahead. If we focused on inclusion first, if, right, in the magical world, we should have focused on inclusion first, we wouldn't have this. So today, the workplace still focusing on diversity force really needs to pivot and look at inclusion because inclusion is where all the numbers come from, right? At the end of the day, diversity is diversity of thought. And everyone has different affinities. However, if you don't have a workplace that can appreciate that diversity of thought, you don't have anything. You have that revolving door. The best and the brightest aren't going to stay. The last place you want to work is someplace where you're not heard or you're not valued. So looking at inclusion first, you create that organizational brand that, hey, you come work for us and we're going to hear you. You're going to be part of our change. We value your differences. That's going to attract the best and the brightest with the most affinities, right? With the most differences um, so that we can all get together around the table, have those conversations and come up with solutions that work for everybody, every affinity that are unique and creative. And I don't know if you were here at the very beginning, but uh, I've already slipped up like six times at the beginning of this show. I do want to point out, thank you for your service, by the way. Uh, and you know, we just went over that earlier. And unfortunately, my friend who we uh, thanked, she's like, I'm the only one that's not, I'm a, I'm a civilian. Well, uh, Dr. Lauren Starr is a vet and with the US Armed Forces and served in Desert Storm. So I am a huge uh, American, let's just put it that way, that I don't think there's another country that provides mm -hmm. the opportunities that we do, that we could even have this discussion of, of inclusion and uh, it is people like you that provide us all that freedom and opportunity. Uh, so, so thank you. I, I'm healing my wounds from the first cast fellows. So thanks for letting me interject. <laughs> David, David, go ahead. Dave, as always, I got your back. Watch this. Thank you to all the veterans ah. on the show and in the audience. Now we're all covered. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Um, covered. But, but Dr. Lauren, uh, all jokes aside, thank you for your service. Um, I think we kind of have a little bit of a chicken and egg problem here. And this is something that I spend a lot of time on. Mm -hmm. I sit on uh, diversity boards. I'm the, the chair of uh, the affinity group at my law firm. Um, there's a huge chicken and egg problem between, like you said, the inclusion uh, aspect and then there's authenticity, right? So when you've got diverse populations showing up as a minority 
in a workspace, there is a difficulty, there's a challenge around showing up authentically, which doesn't allow for those folks to display their diversity of thought, which doesn't allow for an inclusive environment. So do you have any, or have you studied at all the process of the minority populations? I don't just mean diversity minorities, as we spoke, I'm talking about diversity of thought, about those people showing up authentically and feeling comfortable in having differing opinions uh, and different mindsets. Sure, and I think right that even speaks more to inclusion. Um, when I look at marginalized populations uh, coming into the workforce, I, the true lit, you know, Litman test is how do your empl employees show up? And I'm not looking at your mainstream employees. I'm looking at your diverse employees. How are they showing up? How are they showing up in the lunchroom, right? Are, are we finding clusters of segregation in the lunchroom where you have Hispanics and Latinos at one table and you have Haitians at another table and you have Blacks at another table? Or are we integrating? Are we mixing? Are we comfortable with each other? If we're not comfortable with each other, you're, you're spot on, David. No one's going to show up as authentic. Mm -hmm. If you want authenticity in the workplace, you have to have inclusion. It And it's okay to say, hey, maybe we're not there yet and we need to build more inclusion. I think employees are patient enough now to understand that, okay, maybe I can't fully show up today as myself, but I see this organization working forward, pushing forward so that I can truly show up as myself tomorrow. Uh, and that's, I think, where we need to be going. I think we need to recognize that we all want a safe space, right? Maslow's hierarchy of need, as much as I love to tout it, because it was, you know, from the 60s, um, as much as I like to tout it, there is still that, that psychological safety still plays a huge role in the workplace. And you can't have that psychological safety if it's not inclusive, if it's not absolutely welcoming. Absolutely agree. Yeah, absolutely agree. Good morning, Dr. Lauren. So, so when it comes to, and I love what you said about, you know, diversity and inclusion, especially too, with regard to thoughts and thinking, um, what's the, so substantively, I think we all agree on what needs to be done procedurally, how do we do it? So, because, and I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about when I, when I was running my law firm, um, mm -hmm. I, I would often go to my paralegals or, or legal assistants and ask them, how can we get better? How can we do things? Sometimes some people would speak right up and say, you need to do this. You need to hire somebody like this. You need to do that. Others wouldn't say anything. And then one, one day somebody suggested, you know, we should have a, a suggestion box because it's anonymous. And some people have really strong opinions about mm -hmm. what you guys are doing right and wrong, but they don't want to tell you. And I said, wow, that's brilliant. So what, you know, procedurally, what can companies do to implement the things that we need to have done? Sure. And right. Suggestion boxes are great. But are the suggestions listened to? Right. And that's the downfall of suggestion boxes. Right. I'm sure we've all done uh, employee surveys where at the end of the year you do the engagement survey and the leadership team doesn't act. And it's like next time you do that employee survey, you're not going to do it either. You know, you're not going to be honest with them. Um, we need to level set first and foremost. We need to be open about it. Where did where did the vulnerability in business go? Um, years ago, right? And we're going back 20 years, when, uh, 20, 30 years, when I first entered the workplace after the military, there was this vulnerability where organizations were saying, we're not getting it right. We're not doing it right. Asking more questions. Where is that today? Organizations need to step up and say, you know, we are going to focus on inclusion because we want you all to come to work and we need to level set. What does diversity mean to the organization? What does inclusion mean to the organization? What does equity mean to the organization? And we can't do that in a silo, right? It can't just be coming from the top of the house. Top of the house will drive it, but it is your employees that shape it. So putting together groups to have these open conversations. What do we want our workplace culture to look like? After we have that and we have a direction to go in, then we can start putting into play initiatives that focus on, and, and also, right, diversity training or training initiatives 
are knowledge only. That's all, that is all they do. If, if that's right, the only thing your listeners take away this morning, diversity training only increases knowledge. It does not change shift behaviors and attitudes. It doesn't, I did the, dis right, that was my dissertation. And I clearly proved that it does not, it just increases knowledge. Well, then what do you do after that knowledge? We need to start taking a look at these training initiatives and then putting them into action. So they're not the check the box that we've been doing for the last 60 years. It, beyond checking the box are buzzwords and quotas. And I couldn't help even when we were talking to Chrissy, uh, think in the defense space as she's a civilian with three veteran uh, founders, you know, were those veteran founders trying to check a box? Were they, uh, you know, getting extra funding because they have 25% uh, women as the C-suite executive? Those thoughts because of the historical buzzwords, checking the box and quotas uh, that I think are important because I want my three daughters to see Chrissy in those positions, mm -hmm. regardless mm -hmm. of if it was a check in the box or a quota. But it does within the community or culture internally at the company or externally create the separation. Uh, what are your feelings and solutions that you talk about in the book about buzzwords and quotas? Yeah, I hate buzzwords um, and I hate quotas. So I'm just going to put that right out there. Now, Christy's in a very unique situation in that, you know, she is in an organization where, yes, the, the, the three leaders are veterans. Um, so guess what? You're right. You're veterans. We learn strategic inclusion. The minute, the minute we put that uniform on right after we get off the plane and we're heading to basic training, it's strategic inclusion. We, they, you know, the United States armed forces have been doing that since the eighties. Notice the date, the eighties, they weren't doing it prior to that, but in the eighties, they really wrap their arms around this strategic inclusion where you have to work with the person next to you. So it's not surprising, right? It is not surprising that we're seeing in Chrissy's situation, an organization that's thriving. And yes, they can use quotas if that's how they decide to do their business, but quotas are only good if the foundation is solid. And if the foundation isn't solid, you can say you want 3%, you know, people of color or BIPOC on leadership teams. If the foundation of the culture is not solid, you're just creating that revolving door, which is why I don't like quotas. Quotas also establish that us first them. I can't, I've fortunately never had that issue where I've gone, wow, I was promoted to this position because I was a woman. I've never had to second guess my affinity, a white woman to boot. Never had to, I can't imagine the shadow of doubt that must play on some of our employees that they're sitting back on, oh, I was promoted, but is it my skin color? Is it my gender? Is it my sexual orientation? We need to stop that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this is, is super interesting. This is now becoming a business interest um, for a lot of companies to promote diversity, even if it's not genuine in their nature. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I'm sitting here with a pensive thought and, and both David and Mike know things always running through my head at a million miles a minute. I get that folks don't like quotas, but they're necessary because there are a lot of folks in this country uh, and, and that are discriminatory. And, and like Dave said, a good majority of folks are not, but there are organizations where folks that are diverse will never advance because of the mm -hmm. institutions that they're in. So it, 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 this is an unfair question to ask of you, but if not quotas, then what? Yeah, if not quotas, then what? I mean, I think our entire society needs an overhaul, right? In or I, I couldn't agree more with you, David, in that in order to get rid of quotas, what we need is socioeconomic equity. Yeah. And we are nowhere near that. So yes, that's the right. That's the role of quotas is to make sure that people are advancing. But like I said, if it, there's not that solid foundation at the bottom, by putting a quota in, all you're doing is creating a revolving door and you're traumatizing your workforce. Now I'm sure Chrissy would say, we've got quota, right? They have quotas. It's not causing a traumatic effect because they're doing it right. 
they have that solid, inclusive foundation. They appreciate, right, who's coming into work, women, veterans, civilians, um, you know, the whole SOGI spectrum. It doesn't matter. They're hiring the best and the brightest and, and fill in quota attainment for them, right? They're, they're setting goals. That doesn't mean that they're, they're giving up on quality. And I'm going to finish with this, and it's probably uh, <clears throat> not going to be taken the right way, but I, I think it's it's another solution in social economic inclusion, which I love. And it's time that frustrates us because all of the solutions that I see are generational, you know, not instantaneous. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, one of the options of inclusion is if we all just keep sleeping with each other, regardless of who we are or what we are, uh, it will eventually create inclusion. Uh, men to men, women to women, color to color, sex to sex, whatever it is. Uh, I do think that is a solution. My wife's going to be pissed at me for saying it because she knows I really believe it. Uh, I promote it. Everybody sleep with everyone. Be be a trisexual. Try everything. Uh, and we can create inclusion in the world. Uh, put that in your next book, Dr. Star. Whatever, whatever judgment you want. <clears throat> But I have to be honest, like David, and we certainly have all good intentions here and we are trying to promote good intentions. And it takes experts like you that have walked the walk and talked the talk. So I can't wait to really delve into that book because this issue is so important to me in my lifetime and my legacy. And I know it is for my brothers in arms over there as well. And I'm happy to sleep with them if they need me to. Uh, okay. <laughs> Let me just give a quick legal disclaimer before you get in trouble. When Dave Meltzer says sleep with everyone, he means protect yourself, but then you can sleep with everyone. <laughs> <laughs> What's the point for you, Dave? <clears throat> and as we turn to the to the positive, uh, and not to diminish the extreme expertise of Dr. Lauren Starr, evidence-based inclusion, it's time to focus on the right needle. What a great book at a great time. Thank you for joining us. Please come back so uh, I can embarrass everyone again. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> All right. I may have started slow this morning, but I'm finishing strong, fellas. And uh, we're blessed to have Tracy Brown with us, trauma and PTSD coach, and of course, an author as well. Welcome to Office Hours, Tracy. Uh, thanks for having me, Dave. What a great conversation y'all have just had. It, it's uh we're blessed this is what we're about <laughs> we're, we're at least real uh nonetheless but yeah. um you're dealing also with a very important issue and i just want to commend my uh, producers for bringing on uh such great guests today uh we don't shy away from difficult topic matter or subject matter um and you have spoken around the world um and there's a a, a new disease i i saw you speaking about of yeah. playing small yeah. and you know I, I we were talking earlier about asking for help um and it's an indicator of those people who are afraid to ask for help are, are truly um playing small and they don't feel worthy so i was hoping you'd start with you know that dis-ease as i break it up um, yeah that's, that's how exactly how I break up. to speak to speak up yeah well you know it's interesting um that's kind of one of the things that i realized in my life before i wrote the book is that I was, I was not a huge participant in my life. In fact, I was very, I was very um, stepping back as far as participating. When I say participating, which means being vulnerable and allowing people to see me, uh, I didn't allow people to see my trauma because I had known what it done to me, how it shut me down. And the last thing I wanted to do was put that on a family member, put that on a friend, put that on anybody else, because I understand how devastating it is. You know, internally, it may not express it, but somewhere inside, there was something inside of me that was going, this is a monster and I don't want this monster out. And so when I came up with the, the title, the dis-ease of playing small, because when we're, when we know there's something in us to do, when we know that there's, you know, just even a, a, a more fun or a greater thing to do and we don't do it, there's this great discomfort. I mean, we've all probably felt it. It's like, God, you know, I should have done that. Or, and I don't like to should on myself, right? But I, <laughs> but I could have done that. I could have done that. So, so that, that to me was a real indicator. And, and you know, I, I come from a, a, a PT, a physiotherapy background. And one of the, one of the uh, 
great things that has rolled around in my head for 25 years is pain is an indicator that something is wrong. So if, if there is a pain or a discomfort, my encouragement to people is really let's let's take a look at that. If, 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 if I broke my ankle, if I sprained my ankle and if I had pain, I'm probably going to go to a doctor, right? I'm going to look at have somebody look at it and say, hey, what's going on here? Hang on, I got, I got, a, I got a cat that's going nuts. Can you guys hear it? That's cool. No, we like it. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. As long as you like it, that's cool. He, he's, he yeah. likes to let me know he's there. Dave, Dave can bring his baby in, and we'll have a whole chorus of perfect. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, so, so I, I would have somebody look at it, but we don't do that with, men, you know, with post-traumatic stress disorder, and I don't like using that D so much because uh, for the longest time, for decades, I thought there was something really wrong with me. I thought I was broken because I had this something in the back of my head that maybe there was this disorder, right? Well, I've come to learn that post-traumatic stress is absolutely normal. It's something every single human being goes through after a stress or after a trauma. And so when we realize that, it's like, gosh, if, if I'm going through normal processes, then maybe I can be healed. Maybe I can get through this, or maybe I can even get some tools to help me walk through it. And so that was really kind of the premise of that 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 talk on uh, um, Amazon Prime's um, Speak Up series, was the disease of playing small. You know, what is it? What is it going to take? What what is going to be greater than my fear of of looking at something? What it, what is it? And for me, it was writing a book. I wanted to write this book for probably forty years, and, and uh, when I finally decided to put pen to paper, I, I was blank. I couldn't I couldn't access things. So wow. my fear of not writing the book was greater than my fear of going to talk to somebody and figure out what's going on. And Tracy, I will, I will tell you when you said that about writing the book, besides shooting all over yourself, which you're going to hear on my stages, I apologize. And if I forget okay. to tell people you taught me, I apologize up front. But uh, it just reminds me when I wrote my book, my first book, the same way, zero to one, uh -huh. so much harder and takes so much longer than one to 100. Right. And I think it's applicable to the trauma that we have, you know, to get from zero to one with trauma, to write books, to do certain things in our life just is so difficult and takes so much time. But once we get to one, the one to the hundred comes so much easier. David, sorry for interrupting. Oh, no, no, you're all good. I, and I was going to point out that I guarantee I, I'll hear Dave say shooting all over myself. Um, <laughs> yeah. I can tell as soon as you said it, Dave's like, I'm taking that. <laughs> um, uh, but but Tracy, number one, thank you for your service. I got you covered, Dave. Oh, thank um, you. Number number two, thank you also for for having this dialogue and being open to have this dialogue. And I think one of the things that's really paramount here is you know the military community, much like a lot of communities of color. And to tie in some of the conversations we had last uh, in the last conversation is, you know, a lot of these communities do not inherently believe in mental health and speaking up and therapy. And, and there's a lot of generational trauma that's passed down because the generation prior did not get help. And just like interest, generational trauma is compounding. Yep. And uh, you know, one thing that I've noticed is a lot of folks that have gone through trauma, um, and it is everyone, they, they love someone else more than themselves. And one thing that I've been able to reach folks with is like, okay, not for you, right? Screw you. Right. If, if that's if that's yourself. That is the last conversation we had. Yeah. Huh? That is the last conversation we had. <laughs> that is true. But not for you, but for before your son, for your daughter, for your wife, for your husband, whoever the person is, so they don't have to deal with the compounding growth of what your trauma will cause in their lives. So my, my question after this long-winded kind of roundabout is how do we help bridge the gap between communities that just don't value mental health in the way that they should and how do we i mean obviously conversations like this is one reason one way but do you have any other strategies that you've deployed with friends or peers from the military or well you know it's interesting i mean that's that's a that's a that's a lot of uh information right there but you know let me address first and foremost that when it comes to military uh first responders and that kind of stuff one of the one of the reasons that they don't reach out is because they'll be marginalized. They'll be benched because when you say, gosh, I'm having trouble here. The first thing the upper echelon thinks is, oh, this person's unstable. 
this person's not going to be able to X, Y, and Z. But in reality, you're putting somebody out there that's in the midst of trauma that's probably more unstable than somebody that's going to go seek help. Okay, so let's just set that aside. But the other thing is, you know, you talk about generational things, and I, I'm kind of, I don't look at, I look at things in a very um, smaller, in a smaller way. Each, each individual, unfortunately, unfortunately, has to come to the conclusion that they need help. Because I, I, I had so many people come to me in their loving, kind ways, in seriously gentle ways of saying, you know, maybe you should take a look at some things. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. It's almost, it's almost akin to uh, addiction because you're, you're, you're fine until you're not in your own mind. And so what I, I really encourage people to do is, you know, yes, make suggestions. But what I kind of do is if I'm working with somebody, I'll make suggestions in that, you know, I've seen, I've seen reactions like this and I've seen reactions like that and I've seen reactions like that. And people that are dealing with post-traumatic stress, again, a normal process, is they, they're a little bit more numb. They're, they might be even more confused. There's so many different characteristics of it, and it's so individualized that, it, to me, it's almost like putting out, and this is what happened for me, a friend of mine put out on social media 16 characteristics of post-traumatic stress disorder. She was a, a, a cop. And I had 14 of them. And that made me go, oh, wait a minute. Maybe there's something I really need to look at. But the crazy thing is, it's the, and the sad thing is, it's really an individual uh, battle. Now, what we can do in maybe groups and whatnot with people is, is have conversations about characteristics, have conversations about you know, not that there's anything really normal in this life, right? But 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 I I like to say common common ways people deal with things, and 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 people that are in in the midst of post traumatic stress aren't quite so common in the way they deal with things. Mm -hmm. So giving people a contrast, a way to look at something other than the way that they've been looking at it, and that's the that to me is a better a, a more interesting conversation to myself. You know, is uh wow. I look at it like this and somebody else looks at it like that. I absolutely agree, Tracy. It's uh, Einstein's old, you can't find a solution with the same mind that created the problem. We have to change yeah. that. So, yeah. so how do we do that? So congrats and uh, commend you on everything that you're doing. So critical, so, so important. And my question is, you know, where do we find in the spectrum of healing, where do we find the opportunities? What are the modalities that, that are available that you, <clears throat> excuse me, that you use in the mindset industry? So you know my on one end i think we have like breath work for example meditation mm -hmm. you can help get people at a very basic level you can get them back yeah. on on the other end of the spectrum you have something like psychedelics which is something that i'm i'm working with now with a lot of veterans and we're having conversations huge, i have a successful. huge we're changing the world this is the yeah. future of mental health i just I finished agree. with a a guy who was a four-term mayor in 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 alabama he was a three-tour uh, machine gunner in vietnam and had no idea of what's going on. And you show the clinical results, you show what's happening with psilocybin, you show the clinicals on MDMA and their minds are blown. Like we have to get behind this. So that's kind of on the other end of the spectrum. Like we have teams of veterans that just went down to South America with Netflix crews and things. And you see like overnight almost changes that haven't been able to, yes. to occur in, in decades. So this is One really knows. happening. And that's, that's on the other side of the spectrum. So somewhere between, you know, teaching like you being a coach and helping people you know focus on your breath and somewhere you know let's get you over here and go on a three-day journey which a lot of people still don't understand or are afraid of there's a whole chasm of, of, of what to do what are some yeah. of those things and what are your opinions on on what's most effective you know one of the things that i my, my overarching theme in in what i talk about because you know i've got different strategies and whatnot but my overarching theme is really asking somebody what do you want I mean, you know, what do you want? Find and, them where and, they are. Yeah, and, and 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 let them find out where they are because it's it's not just a single question. It's I call it the three whys deep. It's, you know, you, you just keep asking. Well, what do you want? Well, why do you want that? Well, why do you want that? But but understanding when when you really really get clear on what it is that you want, you know, what you want your path to be, or what you want, what you what you could see, or what you really like to see in life. 
Um, then at that point in time, boy, can you really start getting into intention on how to get there? And, and for me, that's, that was my crux. That's what happened for me. It's like, I really, really wanted to get a book that this first book, that one book out of me, I, I, it was, it was bubbling up so much that it's just like, I got to get this out. Problem is I don't have the tools, you know, I, I can't access that. So now that I know that I want, what am I willing to do to get there? Mm. Okay. So you've got somebody that may be stuck in something, stuck in a relationship or, or realizing that, man, I'm just not functioning like other people do. What am I willing to do? Well, maybe they're willing to do uh, psychedelics or maybe they're willing to go talk to somebody, but you got to know what you want. And again, it goes back to, it, it's an inside job. It's, it's, it's inside. Right. I, I can't tell you, Mike, I can't tell you what you want or what you what you're willing to do to get it. Only, you know, that. Yeah. And, and, I think, and I think you nailed it right. When you know what you want, then you can look to who you can help and who can help you. Right. Then, then how is natural. And then the prioritization process comes in. Right. You're applying your why. Uh, and that's why you created Rescue to Recovery and the yeah. book. And uh, please, everyone, we, we all have trauma. I always say we have to give the right meaning to the inflection points, defining moments, mm -hmm. setbacks, failures, mistakes, and traumas of our past to align with what we want, who we can help, who can help us, and how best to get it done. And you illustrate that journey so eloquently, uh, not just in uh, the Amazon Prime video series, but also your book. Uh, and I encourage everyone to go to the website uh, because we all suffer uh, with the interference or the dis-ease that's created uh, by uh, these situations, these traumas, defining moments and inflection points uh, that when we do get help and help others with, uh, all of a sudden it seems that zero to one is over and it's time to go ahead and cruise through the one to the hundred. Yeah. Uh, we can all do that together. Thank you so much, Tracy Brown. Go to Rescue to Recovery, check out the book, check out the Amazon Prime video series, Speak Up, uh, where we can listen and watch the dis-ease of playing small as well. Please come back and join us again. We all need you. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Dave. Appreciate you. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you. Guys. Have a great one. Thank you. We will. All right, boys. Uh, thank you guys for your patience. Uh, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. doesn't matter if you have the lead. As long as you have the heart to come from behind, which is what I love about March Madness, David Marino, by the way, if you didn't catch the games last night, that UCLA game and Michigan State game were doozies. Uh, for all of you sports fans out there, I just think it's a microcosm of life uh, in a very short amount of time. So very, very enjoyable. Um, anyway, takeaways of the day. Who would like to go first? I'll, I'll jump first in. Right, oh, go yeah. ahead, Dave. Ah, this is good. Go Keep ahead. I'm going to let Dave go. He he gets the haircut advantage. There you go. Um, great conversation today, guys. Well done. <clears throat> just going to say, you know, how can I not say be the change you want to see after the conversations that we've we've seen uh, around mental health, around belonging, around being the only, around diversity? Um, in order to promote these things in a meaningful way, we've got to make strong incremental changes as a society. And that starts on a micro level with each individual human doing their part by being a better person and not, you know, being part of microaggression culture and you know, one group getting put on and then using that to band together to then discriminate against another group. So just be the change you want to see. Never compromise your values. And just don't be a hypocrite. Mm, fantastic. This is why I was trying to jump in. It's tough to go after Dave. Um, yeah, I hope I hope Tracy's still listening. If she is, great. If not, I'm going to follow up and send to her. I've never used this platform to promote anything that's not... Um, not only relevant, but useful, but there's a group uh, called Operation Reconnect that my buddy Ryan uh, runs down in lower Alabama. And he uh, he just takes veterans that have come back and for free, um, he flies them down with their families. Typically, they don't have enough money and lets them spend a week. You know, one of the things I learned in traveling in the motorhome is that lower Alabama has a beautiful beach line, the whole coast, like Gulf Shores and all of that area. But he flies these veterans down and he lets them stay in beautiful beachfront properties for free. Doesn't cost anything. Flies them, their families, lets them come so that they can really reconnect, so that they can, you know, mindset, so they can balance. So there's an opportunity there for a lot of what Tracy's doing. So I hope she hears that. And mine is my takeaway is, um, you know, the best defense really is a good offense. 
And if, you know, by being proactive, you put your opponent at a disadvantage. So whatever that is, if that's in, you know, implementing changes in your office and doing different things, or like what Chrissy was talking about or here with Tracy, make those changes, be proactive and, and don't shit all over yourself. Make sure you do it. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, for me, it's quite simple. First, I like to thank Joseph Edward Storzinger, who's loading up the comments. He's a friend of all three of ours, giving shout outs yes. to everyone. Uh, so yeah. thank you. Thank you. He's always here and just a good friend. And since I haven't been in New York and Mikey, you've been traveling as well. And I'm not sure where Marino is in the Manhattan visits, but uh, Joseph, uh, we hope all is well. My takeaway is very simple. You can't find outside of you what you can't find inside of you and uh, progress. Uh, happens every day. The, the, the only differentiator and appreciation I have with Dr. Lawrence Starr was that I think one of the difficulties is reconciliation of the persistent, consistent pursuit while you can't see progress um, because human capability doesn't uh, allow us unless it's attached to time or measurement uh, able to quantify progress. So if you're feeling trauma uh, you can't instantaneously, when you're doing the right things, see progress, right? It, you, when you're trying to start a business, you can't see progress immediately. And mm -hmm. because we have and live in such a conducive, instant gratification society, if we do look inside, uh, that's how we control what's outside. So that's the takeaway of the day. Mr. Marino, Mr. Mamola, and Mr. Meltzer here. The Triple M, 3M, I know that's trademarked already, but Office Hours with David Meltzer, I'm blessed to have you guys with me. Thank you so much for joining me. Have safe travels and a great weekend. Thanks, Take care, boys. Bye, guys. All right, everyone. We have sales training in about an hour and eight minutes. Uh, we will be uh, over 23 years doing this training, and uh, we'll go back to sales. I have a few new perspectives and nuances, techniques, skills, some knowledge and, of course, that inspiration that makes us all capable of articulating quantitative value to exceed what you're asking for. But Luca and Gigi, thank you for producing this show. Excellent job. The guests just keep getting better and better, and so do the hosts. If you'd like to join me for training, it's uh, every Friday. Replays are, of course, available on so many different formats. David at dmelzer.com. Go ahead and request the book as well. I'll be happy to sign the book, send it to you, pay for shipping and the book, david at dmelzer.com. It's been up here the entire time. Uh, I want to thank everyone. But most importantly, be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you later.